So since Christmas, we have begun looking at uh, the the account that Luke gives us of the beginning of Jesus's ministry. And last week we looked at the baptism, the story of how Jesus came to be baptized. And this week we're looking at um, the first uh, sermon that Jesus preached. It's actually not the first sermon. Luke tells us that he had, he had actually spoken in other areas. But this is the first one that Luke records. And it has two things that are unique about it. The first is that it was recorded, um, it was uh, presented, Jesus gave it in his hometown. Uh, Jesus had grown up in Nazareth, but as we read the scriptures, we see that the, the, the center of Jesus' ministerial area, the place that was kind of his home base, was a town called Capernaum. Nazareth is to the south and west of the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum is a, is a fishing village located at the north of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus, at some point, moved from Nazareth to Capernaum. And so he is now back in his hometown in Nazareth. So that's the first unique characteristic of this sermon. Uh, but the second one is that it was a flop. Uh, it was it was a a terrible sermon. I mean, I would, as a preacher myself, I would say it's a terrible sermon when the crowd rushes you to the edge of town and tries to throw you over a cliff. Uh, I I have preached some duds. I. I <laughs> I am not on my best day as good a preacher as Jesus, but nobody has ever <coughs> threatened to kill me over one of my sermons. Last week we saw how John the Baptist, when crowds came out to be baptized by John, his greeting for them was, you children of snakes. And they didn't try to kill John. So it's really strange to see these two things put together. His hometown... And a dud. I mean, people in your hometown are predisposed to hear what you've got to say favorably. You know, besides that, it would just be awkward. I mean, imagine if they had succeeded. And then you were in the crowd and one day you bump into Mary at the grocery store. It's like, oh, hi, Mary. Yeah, yeah, doing fine. How are you? How are you? Yeah, sorry about Jesus. You know, you know, it's just too bad. <laughs> or, or, or you've got Joseph's barbecue set in your garage, and every day when you go out to your car to get in the car, you see it there, and you think, you know, I really need to return that thing. But man, that would be just so awkward. Joseph, sorry about killing your son. This is his hometown, and something Jesus said in this sermon was so offensive that his hometown audience decided to kill him over it. So what, what is that? What is so offensive about what he says? He's, he quotes from the prophet Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Um, he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, proclaim that captives will be released. The time of the Lord's favor has come. And then he says, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. What is so bad about hearing this good news is being fulfilled? Well, the answer, I won't keep you in suspense. The answer is that they understood what he was saying. The gospel is offensive. The gospel is good news, but the gospel is also offensive. Properly understood, the gospel is offensive. And we're going to see why as we look at this passage. The, 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 the thing that Jesus says, um, the, the good news that Jesus gives, he, he says, is, um, 
good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. So he's reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was speaking of a time when Israel, which had been uh, taken into captivity in Babylon, uh, they had they had offended God, they had failed to live according to God's laws, and so God said, all right, good luck, right? And they were immediately captured by the Babylonians and taken away to a faraway country. So they were there in Babylon, and Isaiah spoke to them and said, the time is coming when you will be released, that God has not forgotten you. Things are tough now, but God has not forgotten you. There will be release for the captives. And the language here, the language in in the ancient world culturally, the way that, that captives were typically exchanged, if you imagine there's been a battle or something like that, these are basically prisoners of war who got carried off to Babylon. The, most of the, the elite of the country was carried off as prisoners to Babylon. In the ancient world, the way that that usually worked is when hostilities ceased, you would arrange some kind of a transfer. You would say, okay, you give us so much money and you can have them back. Or maybe we'll kill every tenth one just to teach you not to mess with us again, but then we'll send you back the other nine in exchange for some kind of a ransom, some kind of a redemption. And so picture yourself as a prisoner. You're wondering, am I ever going to go home? Am I ever going to get paroled back to my home? And the answer, the answer that Isaiah gives, the answer that Jesus says he came to fulfill is yes, you will. And not as a parolee. You won't be kind of released on your own recognizance. You get a full pardon. The, the good news of the gospel is you don't get a parole. You get a full pardon. And there won't even be any questions asked. Did you just get swept up when they came through? Or were you a collaborator? Did you desert and go over to the other side? We're not gonna, we're not gonna have a witch hunt after the fact to figure out who's good and who's bad. Everybody gets a pardon. That's great news. Especially if you know, you know, I was kind of more leaning in the direction of the the collaborator, the the deserter, than I was in the heroic resistance. So that's great news. So Jesus says that there will be release to the captives. But there's another image that Isaiah says. He says, the time of the Lord's favor has come. And this language comes to us from the first five books of the Hebrew Scriptures, the uh, the law, the the Torah. And it comes from the middle of those five books, the one that maybe doesn't uh, come as easily to our lips as some of the others. It comes from the book of Leviticus, which is a very dense book full of a lot of things that most of us don't worry about too often. And in that book, the law dictates that there would be something called a year of release or a year of jubilee. And um, in it, uh, the the language here is... Uh, Set apart the, the, set apart this year as holy, a time to proclaim freedom throughout the land for all who live there. It will be a jubilee year for you when each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors and return to your own clan. So this has been part of the law. From the very time that, that God liberated the Israelites from their bondage in Egypt, God came down to Moses, said, I have seen the misery that my people in Egypt are in, and I have come down to set them free. 
So he, he brought them out of Egypt through the Red Sea. You've seen the movie. Um, he brought them out uh, through the wilderness and into the promised land. And he said, when you're in the promised land, there's an ordinance I want you to observe there. And that is every 50 years, we're going to have a reset. The way that the way that the land laws worked in, in, in that culture was you didn't actually own the land. You got a permanent lease on it. So your family got the lease. But if you ran out of money, what you could do is you could sell the lease. You could sell the lease to somebody else. And what God said is at the conclusion of 50 years, give it back. Okay. No questions asked. Why did that happen? Doesn't matter. Did grandpa have a bad crop? Did, you know, he just ran out of money because the crops failed? He couldn't bring in a crop? Or did grandpa have a problem? Did grandpa drink too much and maybe gamble too much and he gambled away the farm? It doesn't matter. You can go back. You get the farm back. That is the year of release. It is the year of jubilee. It is the time of the Lord's favor. Isaiah says that just as this law, the, the law tells us that every 50 years we get a do-over. We get to start over, a fresh start. Isaiah says, that is what God is offering to the whole people in captivity. And Jesus says, that's why I'm here. Jesus says, this is the center of my mission. This is really my mission statement. He says, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing as I read it to you. You know, sometimes people have this idea, they've got this image, there's the mean Old Testament God, you know, naughty, naughty, you know, thunder, lightning, There's the mean old God in the Old Testament. But then there's the happy God in the New Testament, the Jesus, you know, sheep on his lap and some children laughing. Jesus draws on this language, which in turn comes from the law. Jesus invokes first the prophets and through them the law to show This is what he's about. There is only one God. It is a God of liberation, a God who does not want his people to live in bondage. There's only one God. From the very beginning of the scriptures in Leviticus all the way through to the Christian scriptures, there is only one God. Jesus says, this is what I'm doing. Jesus was not improvising. Jesus wasn't making up something new. Jesus wasn't coming up with a whole new idea here. Jesus wasn't improvising in Nazareth. The good news was foretold through prophets who proclaimed it with imagery from the law. So it's good news. It's good news if you lost the farm. It's good news if you were captured and you're a prisoner. But what if you aren't? What if you got paroled last time? And it's been 10 years. This is, is this good news for you? Jesus says, yes, it is. You're as free as the person I just paroled today. In fact, Jesus says, this is really the only thing I've got. Jesus says, what I came to do, the center of my mission is to liberate people. And the people in Nazareth says, yeah, but I'm already free. What have you got for me? You know, I've already been liberated do you have some special things for me? Because let's face it, I've been on your side for a while. We won't ask how I got there. We won't ask whether I was also a rebel, whether I was also a deserter, and whether I've just been liberated a little bit longer. We won't ask whether I got my farm back, but I have it now. 
And so my question for you, Jesus, is not really what can you do, but what have you done lately? And Jesus says, this is it. This is all I do is to liberate people. He says, there's no special relationship. There's no special bag of tricks I have for people that I'm already in a relationship with. This is the only trick I have. I will liberate you from whatever is holding you captive. So Jesus says that this offer is available to everybody, but it's the same offer for everybody. And the people in Nazareth are unhappy about that. They say, why don't we get something special? They're upset, first, because in order to get any benefit from Jesus at all, you've got to admit that you're, you need what he's offering. You need to be liberated. You need to be freed from whatever it is that's holding you captive. That's offensive. But then he says, and once you've done it, anybody else can have exactly the same thing, and there's nothing special for you on top of that. Later on, Jesus will tell his most famous story. He will tell the story of the prodigal son, the story of two sons. One of them goes off into a far country, and he gets in trouble there. But he comes to his senses, and he returns home. And when his father sees him far off, his father runs to welcome him, puts the robe on him and the ring, brings out the fatted calf. It's kind of a jubilee story. doesn't matter what happened, why you were in that faraway country. You're back home now. You get the farm back. And see, for the younger son, that was a great message. But the older son comes in from the fields and he says, why is there a party? And he tells his dad, I slaved for you and you never even gave me a goat. And the father says, this is all I've got. Freedom, restoration, that's it. There's nothing special. This is just what everybody is offered. The people in Nazareth are kind of like the younger son. They're saying, why don't we get something special? Because we have this relationship with you. We view the relationship not because we want to have a relationship, but what it can give us. Jesus says, well, all you get is what everybody else gets. So the gospel is offensive. It's offensive because it treats everybody equal. Even if you've been a follower of Jesus for 50, 60, 70 years, you get the same offer that somebody who just heard about it today. That's offensive because you don't get any special tricks. You don't get any special treats. There's no special reward for you. You get the same offer everybody else gets. But if you think back, if you're in that situation, if you think back, you may remember that at some point Jesus liberated you. And honestly, I think if most of us really search our hearts carefully, we realize that there are still areas where we are held captive. And Jesus is making that offer that he is a God who brings us liberation. Whatever it is that holds us captive, he promises to liberate us from it. The question is, will we admit that we need to be liberated? Will we admit that we lost the farm, that we are a rebel, that we are a deserter, that we went over to the other side? And will we allow him to restore us? Because if we do, he makes this offer. There is no sin. There is no rebellion. There is no loss that he will not redeem. So my question for each of you, For each of us, for me, 
is what do we need to be liberated from? Whatever it is, the promise that Jesus makes, this is why he came. He came to liberate people from whatever holds them captive. And there's a separate question for us as a church. You know, a lot of us are more free than others. We have been liberated or partially liberated. We're working out our freedom. And the question for us is, what are we going to do with it? See, the, the, the year of Jubilee, if you think about it, I have this field. But every 50 years, it goes back to its original owner. So I'm about to give it up. God sometimes calls us to give up what we have in order to make a place, in order that other people can find restoration. God sometimes calls us as a community of believers to give things up, to give up our time, our money, our privileges, in order to restore others to fellowship. But God always calls the church to be like Isaiah, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day. I'm going to read a passage from his most famous speech. I'm sure you've heard it before. In 1752, a bell was cast in London. The Liberty Bell, it came to be known. But in 1776, it was just a bell. It was the bell at the top of the Pennsylvania State House. And when the Continental Congress met there to draft the Declaration of Independence, it was the bell that hung in the steeple when it was signed. And in the 1830s, abolitionists looked at that bell and they saw what was printed on the side. It's at the top of your program. It says, Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. Leviticus 25.10. That's what's written on the side of the Liberty Bell. And so in the 1830s, they adopted that bell as a symbol, and they named it. Until then, no one had called it the Liberty Bell. And that bell became not just a part of our country's founding, but a part of the freedom movement. And I think that's what Dr. King is referring to as he concludes his I Have a Dream speech. He concludes it, the the part we all know, I Have a Dream But he concludes that section this way. He says, I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low. This is the language we heard last week about John the Baptist. I have this dream. And he says, and this will be the day when this dream comes true. This will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning. My country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that. Let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and molehill of Mississippi. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. 
And when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. God calls us to proclaim this good news. God calls us as a congregation to let freedom ring from this building at the corner of Jewel Lake and Strawberry Road, to let freedom ring throughout Sand Lake and throughout Anchorage and throughout our country. Jesus came to fulfill the promises that God had been making since the beginning of the relationship God had with his people. He came to be a God of liberation. Let's be a church that proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. Let's pray. Loving and holy God, we thank you. We thank you for the Liberty Bell. We thank you for its symbolism in our country. And we pray, Lord, that you would guide us so that we can be part of the proclamation of freedom throughout the land. Lord, I pray for each of us as we think in our hearts, as we identify the areas where we have not claimed the freedom that you have offered. Lord, if there are places in our lives where we are still held captive, Lord, we pray that you would help us to see them and claim the freedom that you offer. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our liberating Savior. Amen.